Welcome to the Mountain Brook Baptist Church podcast. We pray that this message will help you in your walk with Christ. Amen. Thank you so much, Kelly. That was beautiful. And uh, to Wayne, uh, thank you, brother, for the kind invitation. I, we, we've observed your church from distance for years, and I'm thrilled that uh, for your parish and for, for Wayne and Mary that that he's now your senior pastor. It's been a it's been a delight to observe. So thank you for the kind invitation. Um, I'm I'm going to read scripture for us this morning or afternoon in Isaiah 42, and we'll we'll spend the next three days in Isaiah. So you just you kind of buckle your seatbelts a little bit, I think. Um, uh, and you know the the prophets um, don't hang their fruit very low. So you know be be ready to dive into the deep end of the pool. But let, let me read to you today's text, and then we'll. And then we'll press in. Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 through 4. Some will refer to this as the first of Isaiah's four servant songs. And that's the plan over the next three days is to engage three of those four. And this is the first one. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I put my spirit upon him and he will bring forth, now remember this term, justice to the nations. He will not cry out nor raise his voice, nor make his voice heard in the streets. A bent reed, I'm going to do a different translation than the one that I have here, a bruised reed, he will not break off. A dimly burning wick, he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not be disheartened or crushed until he has established justice upon the earth and the coastlands will wait expectantly for his law. Now, O oh Lord, in these moments, may your word go forth by the power of your spirit. And would you not, by your kindness, O oh Lord, open our hearts and our minds to behold the power and the wonder of what you have revealed to us in your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, during this holy week, draw us, Lord, deeper into the truths of the gospel and give us a richer sense of the beauty of what you've revealed and even the horror of the cross and the power of of the resurrection, and we ask these things in Jesus' name, Amen. You know, Isaiah the prophet, he um, he, he makes his appearance in our churches at all what appears to be all the big moments, right? So when we go into Advent and then Christmas, at least in my tradition, here comes Isaiah, kind of makes a big splash, and then during Holy Week, which is the week that we're in now, especially Good Friday, Isaiah appears again. So this is this is a season. Of the prophets. And like all the prophets, Isaiah is marked by a deep sense of the tragic. Something's gone terribly wrong in this mammoth book, 66 chapters. And, and where we would expect mountains, we, we find valleys. And where the path should be smooth and straight, it's become um, crooked and rough. And Isaiah doesn't mince any words or he doesn't hold readers in any suspense about where the tragedy that his book is addressing, where it lies. So listen to these first words of Isaiah out of chapter 1. He does not clear his throat here. This is what Isaiah says. I reared children and I brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its master and the donkey its owner's manger, but Israel does not know my people do not understand. My children have been given over to corruption. And here's a really operative term. They have forsaken the Lord. Uh, someone in our congregation, I attend the Advent downtown. One of the 
um, older gentleman in our congregation pulled me aside once and stared into my future. And he said, just so you know, um, you're only going to be as happy as your least happy child. And I thought, <laughs> and, I've, and, and we didn't plan very well. We've got four children. We've made some huge mistakes in our lives. So I, I swallowed hard when, when uh, if I said his name, I bet some of you would know this gentleman. I swallowed hard when this gentleman told me this. But Isaiah, the prophet, he reveals God's own deep grief and anger over his children's rebellion. Even an ox knows its master. Even a donkey knows where to go to eat. But my people have forgotten who I am. They die for a lack of knowledge. They disregard me and they have forsaken me. So look at my children, is what Isaiah is saying. Look at my children playing around here in the mud of their idolatry when they have the infinite beauty of my own love on offer to them. And we're so prone, myself included, to self-destruction as the human race. And the people of Israel exhibit this feature of human existence in spades. So here's Isaiah's words written so long ago, reaching their way and to our setting here this afternoon and speaking forth to you and to me a dazzling truth. It's the kind of truth that radiates light into the darkness of our hearts. God does not leave his people to their own ignorance and to their own darkness. He could. Some might even say that he should. But he doesn't. And even more than that, he can't. He's smitten by his love for his people, like the lover in Song of Solomon hunting around for the loved one. Can't get enough. That's our God chasing us down the street, running off the porch for us, singing songs of delight over us like the prophet Zechariah said so long ago. And at the same time, God is righteous in his justice and his holiness, terrifying in his glory and his splendor, and yet loving and warm and delighting, and pursuing, and refusing to allow the rejection of our own ignorance to define our relationship with him. He comes, he pursues, he cannot let his people go. Like the old hymn says, O love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. But the people of Israel, in Isaiah's prophecy, they were weary. And even after God had announced the triumph of his mercy and the end of his judgment in that great chapter of Isaiah 40. We've got musicians in the room here, but think uh, Handel's Messiah and plunking harpsichords, right? Comfort, comfort ye, my people, says your God. Even after that announcement of forgiveness in Isaiah chapter 40, the people are still beleaguered suffering under the trauma of their circumstances. Listen to this cry of the people from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 27. Now this is after the announcement of God's comfort and his double forgiveness to them. And this is the response of God's people to the kindness of the Lord. This is what they say. My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause or my right or my justice has been disregarded by my God. The people are weary. The desire is for justice. The desire is for the restoration of God's order in the world. And, and things just aren't right. The, the world and our lives are, are not like they're supposed to be, is what the people are responding to God's announcement of, of forgiveness. And I think the cry of desperation that we heard from ancient Judah is a cry that we feel in our own moment as well. 
We too know the forgiveness and the consolation of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. We confess, you do every week in church, the saving grace of God, but we also know that God's kingdom order in this world awaits something in the future. Sin still walks openly in the streets of our world and in the corners of our own hearts. And we need Jesus to flash like lightning before us. We need the, the heat of his beauty to melt one, away once and for all the sin of our whole world and our lives. Even Isaiah the prophet at the end of his prophecy speaks about a new heavens and a new earth, a new creation. Because this new creation has as its principal joy, think about this, beholding the very face of God. Just think of that. We have an eternity before us and we'll never tire of beholding the beauty of God's face revealed to us in Jesus Christ. But that's not yet. It's not here yet. Where is justice? Where is the kingdom established by God's order? How is all of this going to take place in a world that seems topsy-turvy and upside down? And here comes Isaiah the prophet this morning in Isaiah chapter 42, laying out for us God's massive redemptive plan for the whole world. It's the blueprint of God's action in time and our hope for the future. The cry of despair from God's people for justice in Isaiah chapter 40 is answered in Isaiah chapter 42, the reading that we just heard. How will God make all things new in our world? How will justice, the true justice that can only stem from God's kingdom in our world, how is all of that going to emerge? And here's Isaiah the prophet. Behold my servant, says the Lord, the one in whom my soul delights. We enter into the overwhelming joy that sees God step into time in Jesus of Nazareth. This is it. This is the moment all creation and all humanities have awaited. And we follow Jesus in the Gospels down to the Jordan River. It's an amazing scene. Watch him descend into those waters. We, we, have, a, we have a yearly ritual in the Genelette home. I, I, uh, whether it's good or not, I don't know. But during Holy Week, we, we pull off uh, Franco Zeffirelli's famous Jesus of Nazareth movie. We'll watch bits and pieces. I love the baptism in the Jordan scene where John the Baptist is doing his work of baptism for forgiveness and he looks up and he sees Jesus before him face to face. It's, it's an amazing scene. And we watch Jesus descend into the waters of baptism. Why is he doing this? He's descending into the waters of baptism to identify himself with you and me, with sinful humanity. And dripping wet from the waters of his baptism for you and for me, we hear God the Father use these words from Isaiah 42 to describe dripping wet Jesus. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Those words of affirmation from God the Father at Jesus' baptism, they propel us back to Isaiah. They're, they're a pointing sign to say, you want to know more about what's going on here at this baptism at the River Jordan by John the Baptist with Jesus? If you want to know more, go back to Isaiah, to these ancient words. And there in Isaiah 42, we find a portrayal of what Jesus would be in time. And listen to this description of him. He will not shout or raise his voice. He doesn't come with 
bravado and the beating of his chest. He comes in meekness. He comes in humility. With those who are weak and troubled, the beleaguered, he deals with them gently. I have to say, these are two of my favorite phrases in all of the Bible. When we hear Isaiah describe the servant this way, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering or a flickering flame he will not blow out. Think of, think of yourself as a tilting cat of nine tails on the Cahaba River. If that's the experience of your existence before the Lord. He will not come by and push you into the water. If your soul is a flickering flame of an existence before him, he will not come by and blow you out. Jesus, as with his Father, knows our frame, and he knows that we're just dust, and he holds us in the power and the comfort of his own love and forgiveness. If you're a bruised reed this afternoon, he will not push you over. If your soul is a flame that feels like it's about to extinguish, he's not going to come along and blow you out. He's come to establish God's kingdom order in the world. He's come to bring God's kingdom back to us. He comes to teach us and to lead us into all truth, flickering flames that you and I are. Um, this is going to sound really nerdy, but I'm a professor, so I can get away with this. Um, a, a newish translation of St. Augustine's famous confessions came out about three years ago. I ordered it three weeks ago and got it in the mail. Um, you know, some books stand the test of time for a reason. St. Augustine's confessions are up there for a reason. But I got this new translation. I love it. I guess I've, I've just I'm, I've sort of been in, immersed in it. Th this is uh, this new translation's uh, uh, sort of understanding of the last words that Augustine gives us from book six of the Confessions. So late fourth century, early fifth century AD, long time ago. If you've been to Beeson Divinity School before, St. Augustine is up in our dome. And as I encourage our students, be encouraged. I mean, you'll never be up there, but he is, right? <laughs> this is how Augustine ends book six of his Confessions. And I have to, and, and, and um, I'll go slowly. Let, let this sort of filter onto you. Oh, the twisted roads that I walked. Woe, I love this line, woe to my outrageous soul that hoped for something better if it withdrew from you. The soul rolls back and forth onto its back and then onto one side and then onto another and then onto its stomach. Every surface is hard, and you're the only rest. But look, you're here, freeing us from our unhappy wandering, setting us firmly on your track, comforting us and saying, run the race. I'll carry you. I'll carry you all the way to the end. And even at the end, I'll carry you. The promises of Isaiah 42 rumble right at this point. The servant comes to establish God's kingdom. He comes to teach us. Jesus comes to guide us, to provide us a path toward the heavenly city, to the place where the kingdom of God will dwell with humanity forever. And all along the way, he moves towards us again and again with mercy and patience. 
He's, push, he's not pushing your bruised reed into the water. He's not snuffing out your flickering flame. It's easy, isn't it? I'm sure you sense this in our moment in time. It is so easy to lose our way. We are like sheep, Isaiah tells us. We all go astray. And we know that sheep aren't very smart, but we fancy ourselves as pretty smart as we sniff around from pasture to pasture looking for something or someone, something external to us to make us feel significant. And we're looking for hope and joy and significance in all the wrong places. And we can sound so sophisticated in our hunting. I wonder what's over here, sniffing our way around. We can lift our heads and wonder during these moments where we are, who we are, why are we even here? And it shouldn't surprise us, by the way, because the Bible tells us that we're like sheep. I know that I am. On this Monday of Holy Week, here comes Jesus again into our midst, dazzling in light and beauty, beaming with kindness and grace. And we can hear the rattling of his keys as he moves to the dungeon of our darkness once again, of our lost way, of our hopelessness, to liberate us once again. If you are bruised and flickering, he will not let you go. For those who turn to him, and let me put it this way, for those who make the very mode of their being and existence a constant turning to him, he will carry you. He will carry you all the way to the end. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. We pray that today's message brought you hope as we continue to love God and live with grace and generosity. Be sure to check back here for more podcasts. And as always, go out and do the Lord's good work.